Hey everyone, I wanted to take a moment of your time to let you know we have finally upgraded our website www.theguiltpodcast.com. It now features a lot more information and is just in general much more useful and looks better. Make sure you get over there and sign up to our new email newsletter, which will be going up free and will keep you updated on the podcast and the cases as they move forward. And the fancy new website design is courtesy of our friends over at Medio Street Media, who are ready to help take your business to the next level. You see, there are countless ways to market your business online. And yeah, that can be overwhelming. But it's not about doing everything. It's about doing the right things. At Medio Street, they take what's often seen as black magic and make it practical. With custom marketing plans, driving leads for businesses in any industry, with any budget. You can check out their toolbox, including web design, social media marketing, SEM, SEO, video production, and more at Mediostreet.com. Conversations are always free, so reach out today to get started. That's Mediostreet.com, M-E-D-I-O, street.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On the last episode of Guilt. Roughly another minute or two, she turned around, wave, I say she said help. Right where that power pole is, the car swerved violently, violently off the road, right on that bend, violently. Like, I'd swear she'd either reached over and grabbed it, or he'd turned around and saw her waving, and he tried to grab her. Then he got up, he got up from digging the hole, then he stood there, pulling stuff out of the bag, throwing it into the water. He turned around and he headed up through the bushes. He walked up through the bushes. And he would just search for years, walking all the tracks, going off the tracks. It, it just, um, it could just consume them. I was the last one that probably ever saw them alive. And I, I've never told anybody. They've obviously been digging and I've just pulled a bone out. There's a piece of bone right here. From Brevity Studios, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt.
I'll always look for any avenue that can bring extra attention to this or my other cases, in the hope that someone might come forward with that pivotal new piece of evidence. One thing I often get told is that if there was a reward offered, it might draw these people out. Recently, I decided to try and raise a $10,000 reward via a New Zealand-based crowdfunding site called Givitil. In 13 days, we'd managed to raise over $6,000 and looked like we'd easily raise the $10,000. But sadly, Givitil made the decision that offering a reward of this type was in breach of their rules. So the donation page was removed and the funds were refunded to their donors. So instead, I've decided to put up the entire 10000 myself. I've drained my bank account and transferred the money to a lawyer who has placed it in a special account where it will be held for a month, or as long as I can afford it to sit there. To claim the reward, you'll need to provide information that leads to the discovery of Heidi's remains. You can remain anonymous if you wish, but the location needs to be precise. You can contact me by emailing brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. You can remain anonymous by simply creating a new Gmail account to send the email. Remember, the purpose of this is not to ascertain anyone's guilt, but simply to find Heidi. I know, $10,000 is not a huge amount of money. It's simply a bonus for the person who comes forward and does the right thing. In the last episode, we heard an amazing story from Joe in an experience he had in Furatawa Beach as an 11-year-old, where he says he saw a man with a blonde girl driving erratically in a white station wagon before seeing him dig a large hole in the sand. I'll admit that from the first time I heard this story, I was sceptical. Joe's level of detail felt extreme, and it seemed that a lot of what he was telling me fit quite nicely with details from a book written about this case. One that he admits he read. So for me and yourselves as listeners, you need to come to your own conclusion as to how credible his story is. Either it fits because it's the truth, or perhaps unintentionally he's made his story fit the known facts of the case. As I said in the last episode, there are some serious considerations that need to be made when accepting this story. Joe's age at the time being only 11, the fact that he didn't recall the story till decades later, that it can't be corroborated by anyone, and of course, his own personal research into the case perhaps clouding the truth. For me, I remain sceptical of much of the detail. But due to his confidence in what he says he saw, I warranted that it was worth you hearing it. It's also important that I make a distinction here. Just because someone shares their story or experience in the podcast, it doesn't necessarily mean I believe it to be true. It just means that I think it's worth sharing. You should consider the podcast like a courtroom. I'm the judge who presides over the case. I'm impartial. I simply provide the evidence, hopefully in a somewhat cohesive way. You are the jury, forming your own conclusion. Naturally, 
I have my own opinions about the case and what's taken place, and whose evidence I trust and believe. But I genuinely don't share this opinion unless I have further evidence, sometimes not included in the podcast, to corroborate it. The reason I'm saying this is not that I'm saying Joe's story is untrue, but what I'm not saying is I believe 100% that it is either. And it's important to remember that with all witnesses you hear. I included Joe's story mainly because of another witness statement that connects Furutoa that you'll hear in the next episode. I'll add that since Joe's episode was released, I've been contacted by one of his family members who believes that Joe likely did see something and probably was chased by someone, but they're sceptical about many of the details he's provided and they don't believe it's connected to this case. But Joe remains adamant about what he saw. And herein lies the problem when investigating cases of this age and profile. Your memory is not a hard disk that neatly stores everything to be retrieved accurately at any moment, and you must always remain mindful of that fact. Naturally though, any witness evidence that was given closer to the time of the event will always be more credible. And when it comes to witness evidence closer to the time, there really is one man who seems to be the key to this case, and the truth of what took place. His name is Donald Turner, affectionately known as Spud. Hello, Carla. Hi, yep. How are you? Good. My shoes. Hello. Nice to see you. Hey Quentin, how are you? Nice to meet you. Awesome. Cool. This is Carla Turner, Donald Turner's wife. When I arrive, there are boxes and household items piled up, as they're still unpacking after a recent move. With her is Quentin, Donald and Carla's son. We sit down in the lounge, and they're both super friendly, just like any other normal family although their family today is marred by the grief and shock of Donald's recent passing only a couple months before I started this investigation this year. A moment of discovery that I can quite clearly remember. I'm really sorry to hear about Donald. Like, I was... Yeah. Honestly, I mean, when I found that out, I almost cried myself. Yeah, you know, I could hear your your, um, upset in in the um, podcast that I listened to. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't wasn't supposed to go, but yeah. Yeah, it's um, obviously you know it's it's obviously sad, and, and it's yeah. right that he you know Donald obviously seemed like from everyone I've spoken to that he was a really good man, you know, just a few bumps along the way I guess yeah. in the yeah. days, but and yeah, of course as well for me too, like looking into this case, that was devastating thinking yeah. that so much probably like died with Donald, unfortunately, you know, yeah. the truth maybe, yeah. Yeah, um, because that is one thing that is known to me is that he had a whole whole relationship. He had tried at periods through the time that I knew him um, to find somebody that would listen to him, and nobody would. Nobody would take him seriously. And that was right back from when I was visiting him when he was in jail in 92, 93. Initially, if you'll recall, 
Carla had made the decision that she didn't want to speak about the case publicly. She didn't want to get involved. However, when she heard others speaking of her husband, Donald, in a negative light, she decided that because he's not here to defend himself, well, she needs to do that for him. And I can only admire that decision. Donald has sadly passed. So the next best thing we have is Carla. I ask her to take me all the way back to the start and how they met. Yeah, okay, so why don't we go back there. So how did, how did you end up meeting Donald and how did that start? <laughs> I mean, is it, a, is it a, a, a good combo to have or...? Um. You can leave out. No, no, Donna, no, there's, there's nothing bad about it. My brother was in jail and my daughter was having her fifth birthday and Don designed up a card for my brother to send to me for her. And um, then they, a guy, a mate of theirs was released and he was a real paranoid guy. And so the boys sent their letters to him because I knew him from school. They sent them to my place and when Don sent his letter, he sent a letter to me to thank me for passing on the letters. And it was just such a crack-up letter. Um, like, there was just real emotion in it. And I just turned around to my brother and I said, Hey, tell that dude if he wants a pen pal, I'm happy to write to him. And it started with writing for a couple of months and then phone calls and then visits. <laughs> What a good cool story. Yeah, and then, yeah, here we are now, 30 years later, and four kids. Yeah. So, well, that's cool, I guess. Um, yeah. That was back in the days before internet forums and stuff. Yeah. You hear pen pals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely yeah. before the internet. Chuck this microphone on this chair, actually, so I can get this audio. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's really cool. So, I mean, and that's something that everyone always says that Donald was, you know, really articulate. I was, it was amazing like he could be saying something really intimate in his letters and that and I'd be blushing (laughs) as I'm reading the letters and that it just, there was just so much feeling in the letters that came through the way he he wrote like he talked yeah, Yeah, it was very Um, very distinct the way he he would talk and articulate things Yeah. Yeah. are there any um, sort of recordings of him at all? no no, not on hand. No. Not, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, in, in general, did he ever like get a cassette recorder and record any no. memoirs or anything like no. that? No. I have some written stuff that he wrote, um, but that was writing. He was trying to basically put down his life at that stage. Because everyone was saying to him, dude, you should write a book. <laughs> you know, your life, Christ. Um, so he sort of started. So what I've got is um, just the beginning years with Dave and all that. Yeah. I've got that written in his handwriting. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, the accusations that he's made against Dave. Um, so, yeah. 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 Prior to his death, Donald had made accusations against David about events that took place during their childhood. It does not come within the scope of this podcast, but I have had these accusations confirmed by other family members. Needless to say, there was tension between the brothers from an early age. 
it sort of seems that that started the sort of that darkness was a bit of a cloud that hung over from that point on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think Don was in jail when Urban was found, um, and I think that's what triggered everything for him was hearing about Urban where they found him. Um, because as far as he was told, it was close to the batch. I'm not sure. Um, for him, it was obviously too close for comfort because it was at that point that he started talking to me and telling me um, what he felt had gone on at that point. And um, I just said to him, well, I said, if, if you really believe that and you've really got an issue with it, then it's your choice to do something about it. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm hearing that he had spoken to the police yeah. and he'd spoken to them while he was still in jail. So that's why he was still in jail? Yeah. Yeah. And so this, when did he get out of jail? 94. Okay, oh, so that was about mid, so he must have done that sort of mid-90s, that was about right. Yeah. I don't know when he made the statement. Yeah. Because the police won't give it to me. Only a few days ago, I finally received a response about my Official Information Act request asking for Donald Turner's statement made to police. As expected, New Zealand police refused to provide this, citing the fact the case is still ongoing, given Tamahiri has an upcoming appeal scheduled. They advised me to reapply early to mid-2024. So the details of what's contained in that statement I won't be getting for some time. But needless to say, the moment I can get it, I will. As you can imagine, Carla is incredibly protective of Donald and what is said about him now that he's passed. And she's the first to admit that yes, Donald has done plenty of bad things in his life, but according to her, nowhere near as bad as is being made out. Yeah. You know, there's other stuff. Because when Darren kept saying, you know, he's done a big leg, it was five or seven years, and I'm going, the whole time I'm sitting there going, no, it wasn't. It was, it was only three and a half years. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that is the hard thing with time and, you know, everything. I just feel so defensive for him. I, I just feel like um, now that he's passed, um, it's easier for them to try and throw this in his direction um, than accept it themselves because um, when I spoke to James, it was the day after I, I think you'd rung me, um, and I rang James up and I was just I was just talking, I hadn't said anything about you or anything, and then he jumped in. He goes, So what do you reckon? And I went, oh, what do you mean? He goes, Oh, all this stuff with the Swedes and all that sort of thing. And I went, Look, Jim, I says, I've known for twenty-four hours that this is going on. He goes, Oh. Oh, he says, I've had a couple of weeks of knowing about this. And I sat there and said, said to me, I said, nice of the family to keep me in the loop. And um, he didn't didn't say much after that. But then he said, he goes, I wasn't there. He says, I, I, I wasn't even there. I says, oh, 
He goes, and Don was with me. We, we were down at Mangakino or something. He goes, and Don was with me. And I went, Jim, Don has admitted to being at the batch at that time. He doesn't, why are you trying to make an alibi for him? He doesn't want it. He's told that he was there, you know, all, all the way through. He's, you know said that he was there so I wasn't quite sure why James was so adamant that he needed to put Don with him it's interesting eh? yeah because um, there was no need to protect no Don had made that quite clear from the beginning yeah it seems well just from what I can see of it him and Christine have showed up somewhere in the something's going on but they haven't yeah quite, he obviously hasn't realized what's happening at that time yeah and like you said a bone, a bone gets found and then he starts piecing the bits together. He's, I can remember him definitely. He never mentioned seeing them. He did mention the white car. Um, I think he mentioned that he did drive it once. He had to go and do something. It was either something for Father or James. Um, and back in those days, you know, Don did what he was told. Um, we didn't, James would just clip him. Um, he was the youngest of the family, wasn't he? Well, he's the youngest, the smallest. Yeah, um, yeah he had a number of clips from Jim, so he didn't sort of... Yeah. Yeah. Um, James sort of, from from his young teen years, James was sort of put into the father figure with Don. Um, and he watched how James treated people and treated women and he went down that road to a certain extent um, nowhere near as vicious as Jim um, but once he went into jail he did every course that he could get his hands on um, and made, made a lot of you know realisations in his life at that point and he when he got out, I think he was trying to um, pass those thoughts and that that he had picked up to James and that, and they just didn't want to know about it. You know, as far as they were concerned, he was just being an egg. What, what, did, what did Donald end up going? Was it for robbing the chemist or something? Is that why he ended up going to prison? Yeah. 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 yeah, it was um, it was a rest home or something. Um, they had... Like they, they had tied up a couple of nurses, and he had a chappy with him, and the chappy was getting a bit frisky on it. And Don just looked at him and said, "Don't even think about it." He says, "You think anything like that?" He says, "I'll knock you out, tie you up, and leave you here." You know, that's the sort of person he was. He wasn't, you know, he didn't hurt for no reason. You know, he didn't hurt someone for no reason at all. Um, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, he he did have a big heart. He would he God, the amount of times he got himself in trouble with me trying to help our other woman and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was always trying to be somebody's knight in shining armor. Yeah. Yeah. What was um? What would you say? You know, like he was like as a father. You know. Oh, um, growing up, 
and kind of talking to a lot of people my age and stuff and hearing their stories really makes me realize how good I had it. Yeah. Uh, that, that's been one thing that has become really apparent because, you know, when you're growing up as a teenager, no, no one likes their dad and stuff, but no, looking back on it, it's, yeah, it's incredible how much I apply to my relationships and like, I'm, I'm a father as well to my own children that I've realized come directly from him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, the, the things that he, you know, really taught me growing up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he was, he was a great father. Yeah. 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 Hey, I think he, he's been so proud um, of Quinton and the fact that he feels that himself and Quinton, they've finally broken the cycle of, of abuse and that towards their partners and um, their children. Yeah, because yeah, for years, Don thought that, like, he was given away when he was little. Now, for years, he thought that the people that he was given to was a set of grandparents or something in South Auckland. Um, I can't remember the name of the town that the people, or I think it was a little community with a dam or something. I can't remember the name of the place. But these people weren't even related to him that um, Mother had given him away to. Um, And I think Father was um, in jail at the time. And when he got out, he had to... Marina, go and get that boy. He had to make her go and get him. Whereas Don had had this thought in his head that um, his father was the one that had made Marina give him away because he was darker than the rest of them and um, yeah he thought didn't think to say that Don was his and that that was Don's thinking that's what he utterly and truly truly believed until he found out the truth Whichever way you look at it, Spud faced a childhood set with difficulties you and I likely couldn't fathom. And it's no surprise that eventually he found a way to escape from that pain. Drugs. And that's exactly where it came down to, was he realised that um, the drugs, uh, they just took him to a, a different place, somewhere that wasn't... You know, it was, yeah, it was what it was. Like, I've, I've used IV drugs, so I, and the only reason I think I ever, ever started was I had no understanding of why or what it was all about. So I initially tried it to, so I could understand Don more than anything, yeah, the, the, the need that he had, it was so intense. Um, that monkey on his back was always going to be the thing that I would have to fight for for Don. Um, I didn't have to worry about him with women and things like that. It was just that bloody monkey. Did Don ever get full sort of control of it, actually? Um, or sort of just managing? Uh, he was on, on methadone program. Um, like he, 
he he had stopped living, you know, going out and doing scores and things like that. He didn't need to because he was on on a dome. And I'm not saying that he used his dome the way you're supposed to, <laughs> but he knew, you know, that was his. That's what he took, and he didn't seek anything else. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um... When he passed, they said that he passed from multiple, um, what was it? From multiple drug toxicity? Yeah, multiple drug toxicity. Um, it's like a or yeah, basically, um, because when we found him, you know, everybody thought, oh, he must have overdosed, you know. And when the police and the um, the ambulance and that people arrived. I says, look, I says, here's his methadone. I says, here's the three days. I says, I picked up his because he couldn't get down there. Um, I says, he's only drunk in half a day. I says, because there's two and a half bottles here. I says, so he hasn't even had a full dose of his dome today. Ultimately, Carla tells me that Donald didn't die of an overdose. Officially, it was multiple drug toxicity, which is more or less a long-term slow build-up of drugs in the system. But she says he was unable to get his usual dose of a prescribed medication in the week before his death, which she believes likely contributed to it. Despite his lifelong drug use, there's one recurring thing I always hear about Donald. He was an incredibly smart man, and his recall of facts or past events was legendary. If Donald said something, you could rely on it being the truth. Jody Dando, and I was talking to her recently, she was saying that, you know, he'd call up every once in a while just seeing how the kids were and yep. you know, just just generally just being nice. Yeah. Know, for no real reason. No. Said, yeah, that was just Don. That's yeah. what he did. Yep. Yeah. She, you know, she said to me too, she, that... If he said something, like if he said Tommy he was there, then he was fucking there. Yeah. He wouldn't say it unless it was. No, no, he was there. And that was the other thing. He said, he says, under no circumstances am I saying that Dave Tommy Harry is innocent. Mm. He says, I'm just saying that it was the two of them, mm. not just him on his own. Yeah. So, yeah. And in that sentence lies the crux of Donald's whole story. 
David Tamahiti, he's not innocent. He was there with his brother David. And whatever took place, the two of them were involved. It's very important to note that anything Carla says regarding what Donald saw on the farm is hearsay. I've mentioned this before, that it doesn't mean it's not true. But what it does mean is that it's not direct from the source, as obviously Donald has passed. At the end of the day, Carla says she wasn't there. But this is simply what Donald told her happened, and she knows he would want her to pass this on. So when you, um, so you were pen palling with Donald. Yep. Um, and then so, you know, just to go back to the Swede thing, did he sort of start mentioning it to you in the letters or something? No. When when I started visiting him, I think he sort of started, like he mentioned to me, like we, I think it was around the time where. Evan's body was found. Can you remember, do you know what year that was? 91. It was October of 91. 91, yep, because I started probably visiting him beginning of 92. Oh, yep, so it would have been right at that time. So, yeah, so he would have um, probably had that right in his head. Um, and I just became the person he obviously could talk to. I think it was the sheer fact that I wasn't connected to his family, I wasn't connected to all of his mates and that. So anything he said to me, I didn't have anyone that I could go and say it to that would cause any hassle for him. Um, Because, you know, he kept saying he was after security and stability in his life. Um, So, but, yeah, no, he... It was almost, at the beginning, he was almost really desperate to um, find out what was going on, what had happened, what the hell went down. And that's why, and I I really hope Darren, if he's listening to this, takes this to heart, that Don never, ever sought him out to try and intimidate or anything like that. He just wanted to know the information that he's given out now because he was, what you know, what happened? He didn't know what had completely happened. All he knew was he was in jail at that time and they'd found the body of one of the Swedes at the batch. Um, and he stuck in there, couldn't talk to anybody that knew anything. Um, so when we got out, um, yeah, we we came running to um, Darren and his missus at the time, and um, yeah, we spent a lot of time at their place, and the boys went fishing and all that sort of thing. Um, so Darren obviously realised pretty quick that Don wasn't out to cause him any any harm whatsoever. Um, you know, Don Don liked Oldie. Um, so it, it's a bummer that Oldie would think that Don would want to cause him any harm because yeah, it wasn't. He just wanted to know what the hell happened there. Carla refers to Darren Old as Oldie here. And if you'll remember back to his interview... 
he said that after Donald got out of prison, he came and found Darren and was telling him about how his brother Dave had been involved in the murders of Heidi and her barn. Darren told me at the time he believed Donald was fishing for information to see what Darren knew, perhaps to tie up loose ends. Well, according to Carla, she was there and says that yes, Donald was fishing for information, but only because he wanted to know what happened with the case while he was in prison. Remember, in these days before the internet, tracking down information wasn't so easy. According to Carla, Donald freely admitted that yes, he was there, but at the time, he wasn't aware of what was taking place. It wasn't until he was in prison in 1991 and Urban's body was found at the back of the farm that everything clicked. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, as I say, Don admits that he did drive that, that white car. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be, he had driven in, drove it into town or something to get something. Oh, I can't quite remember. But I know that they weren't at the batch for, for very long, if, if anything, just overnight. Um, he said that um, Christine woke up during the night and found Dave standing at the end of the bed. But Don said she woke him up once he you know, moved away <clears throat> and told him what had happened with Dave and that they packed up basically first thing the next morning and were out of there. But, you know, so I suppose, but, so Donald, though, he never meant, so like you said, he never said James was there, never said James was involved. Yeah. You think he probably would have told you that if he felt that was the, he told you everything he knew. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well. Did, did you ever have a thought that Donald could have had maybe some involvement? No. In the, no. No. But he may have seen a lot more than he told me. I don't know. Because I, I feel like we had talked about it so many times and it was always the same. You know, it never changed. It never wavered, um, which made me think that this is the truth because, you know, these conversations were taking part you know a couple of years apart you know we wouldn't talk about it then he'd talk about it again you know something would bring it up in his mind or he'd see something um and he'd talk about it again and it was always still yeah yeah what so so when um what was that sort of what what was it that he would say so him and christine would show up and yeah him and christine turned up the end they needed somewhere to crash or uh, as far as i'm concerned um um I know that it obviously was early enough for him to take the car and do whatever he was asked to do, and then he brought the car back, so I think he just went in, into town or something and came back sort of thing. Um, and then he doesn't say much more about what happened. Uh, Dave turned up, and he said he wasn't, wasn't happy being there with Dave there um, and he had his mate with him and yeah well I presume that was Tamahiri here um, 
because that was the thing with Don. He, he said, I remember him saying, he says, For fuck, he says, the two of them could have been fucking twins. He says, they, they look so much alike. And when you do put the photos together of the two of them at that time period, it's like, Jesus Christ, because <laughs> they both scruffy hair with handlebar moustache. Um, you know, they weren't skinny men or anything like that, whereas, you know, Don was, you know, five foot seven. We'd be lucky if he was 70 kilos, <laughs> you know. Um, he didn't eat, he did drugs. So, um, yeah, he didn't, didn't look like any of them. But as he says, his main thing to me was, he, under, he said, under no circumstances am I saying that Dave Tony Harry is innocent. I'm just saying that Dave Turner was involved in it with him. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then he sees them. They're hanging out, obviously driving the car. Yeah. But then, is there any other? Did he say anything else other than that? No. And then Dave, Christine, and him have left the next morning or something. Yeah. yeah. So he's obviously realised in prison. When you you need sleep, that statement mm. because I believe that if there's anything he hasn't said to me, it'll be on that statement. It's really interesting to mention that just say if Donald if Donald was there and saw Tamahiti and Turner there and they had the Swedes car. Yeah. That gives me quite a good time frame because I know that that car, you know, that had to have shown up. I mean, unless the switch happened and the cars were switched, I don't you know, I don't really know. Yeah. I'm starting to think maybe He never said anything about, about doing that. that. No, he just said that. He had to drive the car into town yeah. and back. So I don't, yeah, I but it, he didn't realise whose car he was actually even driving at the time. Um, and, I mean, if they were driving one car around, well, it can't be the same car that was parked up the hill for a couple of days. So it makes sense that James said he never saw that white Subaru again either. Yeah. So I wonder if, if the story is true about the car getting buried, then I think it would have been... Father's one that was buried and not not the sweet one. Yeah. There probably was no switch. Yeah. But what it does mean though is if Heidi wasn't there when Donald turned up and he saw them both in the car, well then it, you know, yeah, it must have happened quite quickly and they, yeah, because I can't remember where he, he said something. My memory's not a hundred percent on whether he said he saw Urban or not. For some reason, I. Um, that would be huge if we knew that. For some reason, that's sitting in my head that Don had said he saw Urban there. It, yeah. It's a matter of um, where, do, where would, you know, they didn't go that far with Urban, so. What's interesting now? Like, where the hell did they, they go with Heidi? Well, that's the thing. So, like, that's why for me now, like, just that little piece, like, fuck, if I could get hold of that statement, but that little piece is real. If Donald saw the car there with the bull bars, and yeah. James did too, and if we believe them both and say, okay, they didn't see Heidi in her barn, yeah. that means they had to be dead already by that point. Yeah. That means it's a short time frame, and so that means they probably couldn't have taken her far. Yeah. She's either in for Yeah, well, yeah. Because um, yeah, that was... The thing he said, you know, oh, but I, oh, shit, I wish I could remember 100% whether he said, I have this, this, like, part memory thing of him saying that he was, he saw Urban, a uh, young chap, long, sandy, beach 
blonde hair or something, he said, was just sitting under a tree. He said um, he just had his head down, wasn't doing anything, wasn't, it was just sitting there. Because Urban's not going to try and make a run for it and leave Heidi behind. No. Yeah, but that's interesting, you know, that thing about if Donald did drive the car and he saw it there, then the, the window of time... That yeah, no, he, he definitely drove the car. He definitely said he drove the car. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. That means that there, that window of time, so he never saw Heidi. But, yeah. yeah, but I'm... I, I just seem to have have this memory that he said he saw this guy um, sitting under one of the trees. So it wasn't. So he said he was alive, eh? Yeah. Say he was dead. No. Because he would have done. See. He would have freaked out on that. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, that's not. That's not done style at all. He would have nothing to do with that sort of, you know, with rape and murder and that. That it's not him at all, at all. Yeah. He would have, I think, I think if he's looking down, he'll be happy that questions are being answered finally. You know, people, not answered, but asked, because it, it was one of those things that was forever in the back of his head um, that he felt that, you know, something that, it, that he knew, he knew his brother had done what he'd done and nobody would listen to him that must be just so must really scramble your head a bit when you when you know something like that has happened and nobody will listen to you there's a fair bit to process in this episode and there are some important things to note. Remember, like I said, this is hearsay. It's simply what Carla can recall Donald telling her over the years. And by her own admission, she's a bit hazy on some of the details. But there are a couple things she is 100% certain Donald told her. Firstly, Tamahedi was present on the farm. And that he was in the company of David Turner that they were driving a vehicle that Donald came to believe was the Swede's car, and that Donald himself had in fact driven the car into town running an errand for someone. And some of this should come as no surprise. Remember that David Turner confirmed Heidi and Urban were on the property. He also said Tamahedi was there and appeared to imply that he was present also. James Turner also stated that he had seen the car with bull bars on the property. And we've come to believe this must have been the Swedes. He also said his father told him that Tamahedi had sold his brother David a set of bull bars, which again connects him to the property. What we can't say right now is what happened next. Remember, just because David Turner was present with Tamahedi it doesn't necessarily make him guilty of murder. And the same goes for Tamahedi. Clearly, Donald Turner believed it to be the case that they were both involved, but ultimately, according to Carla, Donald wasn't present when whatever happened, happened. 
But of course, we have Darren Old's statement that he saw Heidi being led by David Turner, while James stood over Urban and Donald was changing license plates on two white station wagons. We now know Donald was definitely there. And we can safely say that David was too. But as yet, no one has corroborated James's presence. The final tantalising possibility is Carla possibly recalling Donald saying he saw Urban sitting under a tree. If this were true, it would place Donald there at the same time as Urban, and more than likely Heidi also. But like Carla said, her memory of that point is hazy, so she could be wrong. Like she said, I need that statement he made to police. That will likely contain all the missing details. When considering Donald's possible involvement in this case, Carla admits there could be things that he's not told her. But if Donald was involved in Heidi and Urban's murders, why would he spend the rest of his life trying to tell this story? There's a consistent theme to everything I've ever heard about Donald. Yes, he was a junkie. Yes, he treated some of his girlfriends poorly in the past. But rape and murder? Not a chance. While in prison, Donald turned his life around. And on his release, he packed up his new family and moved far away. His goal was to break the cycle of abuse. And I can see in the evidence of his family today that he was 100% successful in that goal and left behind a wife and children that remember him only as a kind, caring, funny man. Albeit with that one monkey on his back that he learned to manage but sadly could never remove. Donald always had a complicated relationship with his father. And I was told by James that at Donald's wedding, their father, after seeing the new life Donald had created, shook his hand and told him, Well done. You did it, son. If Donald's account of what he saw is true, then it means certain people are withholding the truth about what took place in April of 1989. And it would seem to confirm that Tamahedi's story about never meeting Heidi and Urban is a lie. And it seems that lies, half-truths, and deceit have riddled this story like a cancer in the history of this case. With every party seemingly protecting themselves, someone else, or their own personal interests. However, it's beginning to feel like the final pieces are falling into place. I believe I'm going to find the how and the why. But what about the most important question of all? Where? Where is Heidi? To those out there listening to this right now, that genuinely hold that truth, it's time to come forward and do the right thing. Come forward and claim the reward. But more importantly, be that person. The one that sent Heidi home.
Guilt is a Brevity Studios production, written, produced and narrated by me, Ryan Wolf. All opinions expressed in this podcast are exactly that, opinions, and are not a statement of fact by the podcast itself. All persons named are presumed innocent unless proven otherwise in a court of law. You'll find further photos and video on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ. Guilt is a 100% independent production. We've never received a single dollar in taxpayer funding, and you can support us to continue to make great content, plus get ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and early release by becoming a Brevity Plus subscriber on Apple or Acast Plus. You'll find the details in the show notes of every episode. This podcast was written and edited without the use of AI. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.